episode is brought to you by wild foods holy heck mercedes have you tried their keto bar so yummy and only two grams of net carbs and they're using real food to create their flavor so no sugar alcohols and all the protein and fat you need to fuel your low carb lifestyle yes i love it yep and with natural ingredients like almond butter and collagen it isn't just keto friendly it also adheres to the primary values of wild foods where they believe real food is fundamental to human health That fits right in with my health goals. And because we know how health conscious our magic mob is, Wild Foods is offering the Magic Hour listeners 12% off your entire order. Yep, 12% off. To sign up, go to wildfoods.co slash discount slash magic hour. That's magic with a J. Again, go to wildfoods.co slash discount slash magic hour to get your discount. Welcome, boys and babes. It's the Magic Hour, a place where we navigate through life's peaks and valleys with all the vulnerability and shamelessness we can muster. With the help of world-class guests from all walks of life, we uncover new truths and valuable tools for manifesting our highest potential. I'm your host, Mercedes Terrell, along with my partner in shine, Jade Bryce. Hey, you guys. We have had some really amazing guests on this show, but I have truly never been this excited for a guest ever. Like I'm actually nervous and I've never, I haven't been nervous before a show since our very first episode of Paul Selig. Um, I'm being completely honest with you guys when I say that before we ever even recorded our first episode, I made a list of about 10 dream guests and this guy was on the list. I right then started emailing to try to book him. Again, this is before we ever even recorded um, and we're set in stone to have a show. And I continued to email him every few months until he said yes. And uh, thank goodness, because he said yes last week and here we are. (laughs) (laughs) Only took a year and a half. Fantastic. (laughs) His poetry, though, it always brings me to tears and it has carried me through some really heavy times. I feel like I already know him because of his work. And because his word speaks so much truth, it is so in alignment with my own heart. I feel like he already knows me as well. Yeah. His poetry is really amazing. My voice is still scratchy because I was crying from listening to it right before I got on to record. Um, And you guys will hear some of it throughout this episode. So look out for that. Uh, I really love the the hip hop vibe that he has as he speaks it and the way each sentence of his poems have like an entire book's worth of truth in them. Mm -hmm. It's almost like he's reviving poetry at its truest form and modernizing it into really enlightening um, text that you can just like hear and feel when he, when he speaks it. So he is truly making poetry cool again. I'm Mm -hmm. excited for you guys to hear it and to hear his story today. Yes. The most inspiring spoken word poet of our time, his words drop you into a deep vulnerability. He is a national poetry slam champion award-winning poet and multi-platinum songwriter, named Oprah's Super Soul 100 list of the world's most influential thought leaders, as well as the first spoken word artist to perform with Cirque du Soleil. He has been featured on ESPN, HBO's Deaf Poetry Jam, and A&E's Look Closer campaign, which debuted during the Emmys. He has inspired audiences around the world through his live performances and storytelling workshops, a transformative, team bonding experience where you redefine the moments that changed your life. 
Many of his recent poetry videos have gone viral with over 70 million views combined on topics of love, family, presence, forgiveness, and social issues, including climate change, gun violence, racism, and more. He invites us all to look inside and question our own existence to inquire within. A beacon of consciousness for our generation. After hearing him and reading his poetry, you'll never look at poetry the same way again. His book, Inquire Within, comes out tomorrow, March 31st. We're so honored to have you here today. NQ, welcome to the show. Wow, thank you guys so much. It's a pleasure to be sitting here with you both, virtually. Yeah, thank you for being here. Um, before you got on, I, I um, told our listeners that before we started the show, I made a dream guest list of 10 people, and you were on that. And I started wow. emailing then, and I've emailed... Um, your assistant or your booking agent um, every two months since then. <laughs> it's been like a year and a half. So, so yeah, thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for that. That's a, that's a really wonderful compliment. And as I said, I'm really happy to be speaking with you both now. Thank you. Um, you have some empowering perspectives on today's society where others might lose hope when it comes to issues like climate change, racism, and gun violence. You find a way to speak truth that reminds us that we can't ignore what's happening and to respond with empathy, love, and action. Um, I was curious where your sensitivity to these issues and people come from. Uh, You know, you have a sensitivity to people of color when you're not one, uh, to gun violence. I'm guessing you've never been a victim. And so I was just wondering what events or experiences in your youth helped to shape who you are. Well, like if you were to look at the gun violence thing specifically, Um, and I actually talk about this in the book, I had an experience, um, when I was like around eight or nine, we used to go visit, uh, my grandparents in Florida and, uh, and I had an uncle Larry and weirdly enough, um, we found out that uncle Larry died yesterday. We found this out. Mm. Um, he's been estranged from my mom and doesn't have a relationship with his kids anymore, or his grandkids for various reasons that I'm not going to go into because they're not my stories to tell, but, um, we didn't know. So he's, he's passed away. He's been passed for four months and we mm-hmm. just found out last night. And there's a story that I go into in, in the book. I mean, uncle Larry was charismatic and he was intelligent and he was charming and, Um, but he also kind of had a a troubled life and without getting into specifics at at one point he had hit a loaded gun in my grandfather's closet and we were visiting them for um, like winter break and we were playing this game where the kids would search for the presents that the adults had hit Mm. and so I wound up at the bottom of my grandfather's closet in the den Mm. and I came across this shoebox and I opened it up and there was a gun lying there. And I, for some reason, like in my mind, I was a kid, I thought it was my present. Mm-hmm. So I picked it up and it was loaded. And I, try, I pointed it at my friend who was on the other side of the room and I tried to pull the trigger. And I was like, bang, bang. And wow. it was on safety. And then I went into the living room and I was like, is this my present? And everyone jumped up from the couch and started yelling at me to put down the gun. Wow. And, you know, I mean, 
I've always thought about that. There's literally like a siren in the background. Who, who knows what that's about? Hopefully it's a good positive thing. You know, somebody's going to get their life saved or, you know, something with an ambulance or something like that. But the point is, is that everything's happening simultaneously. Yeah. And at that moment, it was a pivotal moment for me because as I grew older, I started thinking, you know, how much my life or more importantly, his life could have changed had the safety not been on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I felt a lot of empathy for the families that have gone through gun violence and, um, and it ended in tragedy. So um, I think that's part of the reason that I wrote that poem. But mm. the other part of the reason that I wrote that poem was because I was watching the fucking news yeah. and there was another mass shooting and politicians were standing up saying, well, it's not time to talk about it. It's time to respect the victims. Yeah. We don't want to deal with policies or laws. We just want to respect the victims. And I thought, how is that respecting the victims? I said, when is it time to talk about it? And that became the first line of that poem, The Wrong Side of History. And that's always where I start my poetry is in a place that's true for me. You know, I don't strategize my inspiration. I don't think like, what does my audience want to hear or what will resonate with popular culture? Um, I don't, I don't really like approach it that way because I feel like it's more of a manipulation. Yeah. In that way. And if I'm manipulating my audience, I'm manipulating myself first. Mm. So um, I don't want to do either one of those things. And so I just try to pay attention to when it is that I'm inspired or when it is that I'm moved or when it is that I'm annoyed or angry at something. And I always start my poems there because if I do, then if I give it enough time and space, the rest of the poem will almost write itself. Mm. Yeah. That's beautiful. When did you first notice that you had that gift for poetry um, and for such a precise, powerful language? Um, you know, I cultivated it like anything else anything that people are good at, they might have a natural talent at it, but they have to put in their outlier hours. Yeah. You know? And the interesting thing about art in general is like no one can teach you what your voice is. Mm -hmm. They could teach you different techniques of art. And my mom's a school teacher, you know? So I have great respect for teachers in general. And artistic teachers, they can say, you know, here are new tools or here are platforms for you to explore your voice, mm -hmm. but they can't teach you what your voice is. Right. Your voice is only going to come from experiencing it. Yeah. You know, and that's how you get better at better at communicating the thing that you want to express mm -hmm. through that piece of art. Have you always though asked such big questions and, and deep questions or, or was there a moment that that really opened up in you? Um, well, my father was not around. And my mom raised me on her own. And I think that when, well, I can't speak for other people, but for me, I'll say that I always felt um, like I was observing my life from the outside looking in. You know, I had externalized what I thought masculinity was. I was looking around like, what am I supposed to be like? What am I supposed to act like? And I never really felt like I belonged in that way. Um, and I think that, you know, once again, you know, your, your, your kryptonite is your superpower. So the things that happen to you that are difficult are also opportunities. And once you can be grateful for them, whether or not you understand them, then you can be empowered. And a lot of those tools that I 
learned at that stage in my life being observant, I think that turned into big questions. And then those big questions ended up uh, pouring into my art. Yeah. This is a big question, but how, in your words, can we build a better world? I think just people need to be more compassionate to each other. We need to realize we're all in this human experience together, you know, no matter what the details or the circumstances are, you know, we all are writing our own human story individually and collectively. And so I think empathy is what the world needs most right now. And if you think about it, you know, like art is very important because, you know, art changes culture and culture can change policy, Mm -hmm. you know, and Mm -hmm. policy can change society, Mm. you know. So that's why it's really important now more than ever that everybody gets out, you know. Yeah, I saw your sticker. You know, uses their voice in whatever way they can, Mm -hmm. you know. And it doesn't always have to be perfect. Fuck perfect. It doesn't exist. You know, just make sure that you're expressing yourself Mm -hmm. um, and that you're using your voice to build something, not to destroy something. Yeah. Yeah. I love how you point out in one of your um, poems that we tend to say like my wife, my home, my kids, but we don't really refer to the other things that need to be taken care of, like the planet. We call it the planet instead of my planet. Um, And and you say. you're, it's kind of a reminder that poem that like um, you say it in there that everything is ours and nothing is ours. Um, and I, I, that really resonated. Um, we have a mutual, yeah. fr- sorry, go ahead. Ownership over something you are willing to fight for it. So mm. if we take ownership over the climate, we would be willing to fight for it. And by the way, climate change doesn't give a fuck about our nations. doesn't mm. care. Yeah. You know, the virus doesn't care about our politics, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so we need to realize we're all in this together. Yeah. Um, we have a mutual friend that said um, he already has a copy of Inquire Within and that he only allows himself to read one page a day because the book is like a close friend that he doesn't want to say goodbye to. Stop and, it. Who said that? Uh, Tom Shadiak. Oh, I love Tom. <laughs> yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah, I, I read him that. this outline. <laughs> I was reading him some of the questions from this. Yeah, like getting his yeah Tom is it. a guru. Yeah, yeah he is. That's a really beautiful thing for him to say. I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, he said he only lets himself read one page a day. Um, and I, I've had so many books like that, too, where they become like close friends and you just don't want to say goodbye. And I feel the same way. Uh, reading your words, but when I hear you speak them, it's almost like hearing the voice of God or source or my own highest self speaking, and my whole body gets chills and my eyes and heart swell. And I'd love for our listeners to experience this who haven't already. So are you up for sharing a poem with us right now? It can be new or old, whatever you. Yeah, sure. Well, you mentioned 85. Is that something that that you guys would like to hear? Sure, sure. I'd love it. We love love, so. Okay, cool. So I'll give you a little bit of context. Um, So I wrote this piece because I used to live in a back house. And um, the woman who owned the main house, her mom moved in at a certain point, and she was in her 80s. Her name's Dolores. And uh, Dolores and I became, like, really good friends Mm -hmm. because we shared a kitchen together. So um, 
we would sit and we would eat or we'd have coffee and we would discuss mm-hmm. life and love and you know my ex-girlfriends why I was angry at that time about them <laughs> whatever was going on in my life and, and um she really became somebody that was very important to me and uh one night after about six months or more I don't remember exactly but you know of her living there I woke up and there I had this big window and um it was three in the morning and I looked in the blinds and I saw the ambulance lights and I mm-hmm. like opened up the blinds and she literally getting taken away on a stretcher and she was still alive, but she was having major health complications. And so I went and I visited her in the hospital and she had uh, tubes in and out of uh, her body and she had a really high fever and she didn't recognize me. And I sat with her for like an hour and the doctors were not saying it was a great prognosis and I didn't want her to suffer anymore. So I basically said my goodbyes to her. But, of course, in any good story, Dolores was not done fighting yet. Mm-hmm. She ended up getting better, and they moved her to a retirement community. And I went and I visited her in the retirement community. And we were sitting in this, like, little garden outside. And she was in a good mood. So I said, Dolores, why are you in such a good mood? And she leans in and she goes, I met a guy. <laughs> So she had met this guy when she moved in and they liked each other. So they started dating. And I just thought that was so beautiful because I was literally thinking that her life was over. And not only was she still going to live, but she was able to be surprised by something again, Mm. to be excited about something again. And, you know, there's people who are listening to this at any age And they become calcified in their lives and they're not willing to be excited or surprised. And you Mm -hmm. don't know what's around the next corner. You really don't. It can be anything, even love. So I ended up writing this piece and it's called 85. Okay. I want to fall in love at 85. Go on shuffleboard dates and dance to hip hop from 95. (laughs) We would also listen to the song Staying Alive, but only for the message. Otherwise, we'd keep away from disco. It's depressing. We'd rock matching tracksuits and rope gold chains. We'd look like Run DMC, but in their old age. We'd take aerobics classes and wear bifocal glasses and eat at IHOP and hold hands at Sunday masses. And when it comes to the bedroom, Well, nothing much would happen in the bedroom because we're 85. Mm -hmm. But we would still be down to take a walk or take a drive or sit and talk and have a drink, watch the passers-by, ask each other why and how and who and where and when, and then we'd laugh and cry again about the people we had been. And I would touch her withered skin and comment on how thin it is to keep in something infinite. And she would smile, sweet and blush, then tell me that I think too much. She's right, I think too much. It's always been a problem. But then again, that's how I made my green like the goblin. When I was in my 20s, I was eating top ramen, counting up my pennies, saving up to go food shopping. But now I'm 85 and somehow I feel more alive. 
Turn my hearing aid up and bump Jurassic 5. I read the sports page while she peruses classifies. We like antique stores, garage sales, and barter buys. And when it comes to the bedroom, well, hopefully, every once in a while, she lets me knock her boots into the floral patterns of our bedpost, then hold her head close like death isn't chasing us, planning on erasing us and replacing us with better versions of us, reshaping us, remaking us, then recreating us with new identities so we can make new memories. Hush, little baby, learn to walk and talk and think and lie and feel and fight and love and die and never get the answers why. She dips a joint of grass and wheatgrass and we get high. Her hair is silver as the moon in the Miami sky. We still pop pills, but it's not the molly anymore. Whenever we can't sleep, we listen to the ocean floor. She got a sound of the CCD for me from the Brookstone store. And ever since I've been snoring like a, like a really good metaphor for snoring. <laughs> Sorry, I go blank sometimes. What, I'm 85. I'm not complaining. I'm just happy that I'm still alive and happy that I have my better half by my side. Super flash. She doesn't look a day over 75. <laughs> when I first saw her, I was totally in awe. She was classical. So I was like, yo, yo, ma. And that was all it took. A single look and I was shocked. I fell for it like some loose shingles from our Spanish roof. And I'm a lover till she loses every last root and has to glue dentures to her gums to chew solid food. Ooh, now that's real love, dude. That's some push comes to shove love. Not when it's convenient, love. Hospital bed, love. Feed her ice chips, love. Never leave the room, love. Sleeping in the chair, love. Prayed up above, love. And still have to pull the plug, love. Miss her in my bones, love. Everything about her, love. Die within a month. Love can't live without her love. Love, the only reason that we are alive, and none of us should have to wait until we're 85. Hmm. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad I listened to that right before I got on here because I already bawled my eyes out to it. So I didn't yeah. I didn't keep my composure. <laughs> I, Why yeah, did I, it make you cry? What, uh, what did you feel or what did it make you think about? It um, Something really current to me right now is with my husband, we actually are doing this um, practice, I guess you can say, uh, which he's already taken the time to do. And it is to write down or however you want to make it really clear to yourself what your 80th birthday would look like. 
in order to start kind of planning mm, from there backwards, you know? And so that's in the works in my mind right now. So it's very current for me of just picturing myself at 85, you know, my relationship with my husband, or if that is going to be part of 85 for me, or the, the matter that it might be one of us isn't alive at that point, you know? Um, but then on top of that, we've just like last night I was in tears in a really bad place because I just feel like recently I have this unraveling of this story that I've created of what love is. And it's Mm. seems to not be any of those things. Like, so that's actually a question that I wanted to ask you is like, what, after doing all this work around love for so many years now and putting so many words to it, do you have a definition for love? Um, well, it's a ever evolving definition. I mean, I've been with my girlfriend for two years. Um, so it's relatively short, you know, in a lifetime. And I still feel like I'm getting to know her. Um, even though I'm madly in love with her. I mean, I'm, I'm just so unbelievably happy. Um, but it's not perfect, you know, nothing is, and you have to work on it. It's, it's a part of being alive, you know? So I think it's an ever evolving definition for me. Um, and it's something that, you know, it's taken me a lot of personal work to even be vibrating on the type of frequency that I had to be on to be attracted to and to attract someone so amazing into my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then realizing that there's going to be seasons for that. Um, and, uh, just trying to show up as the best version of myself throughout. Um, I, I heard a great piece of advice from a really good buddy of mine that has always really stuck with me. Um, and I am able to apply it with various degrees of success and failure. <laughs> but, um, the advice is, you know, when you have something in a relationship that you can't figure out how to work out you know instead of trying to work it out with the other person take a step back and live your absolute best life for a week you know whatever that is for you whatever that looks like you know meditating twice a day eating really really healthy you know working out making sure you're hanging out with high vibrational people doing reading things that are really positive listening to podcasts that hopefully help you move in the right direction, you know? Um, and then usually when you come back, you've changed. Right. And so the mm-hmm. problem has changed. Um, mm-hmm. And I think oftentimes we try to fix things externally when really it has more to do with what's going on on the inside. Yeah. It's that's really, really good. And yeah. It's really good magic trick. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I answered your question, though. No, I mean, I don't know if there is an answer. You answered mine. I didn't even ask it out loud. (laughs) (laughs) I think my struggle is that I don't think there is an answer. It's one of those things that's the gray area, you know, that's so uncomfortable to kind of deal with in our black and white minds, brains, Mm -hmm. I should say. Um, So, yeah, I know we only have limited time with you, so I could go on on and on with that for a long time, but I'm not going to. I'm going to ask you um in your workshops you teach participants how to redefine the moments that change their life so can you explain that process for us 
Um, yeah, but I'm also happy to talk about the other stuff because I really don't get to talk about the other stuff in other podcasts. Okay. I would love to really, talk about that stuff. First of all, I'm horrible at self-promotion. <laughs> but I am learning that, you know, this book is something I'm so proud of. So I'm doing all of these podcasts because I get to meet amazing people such as yourselves. And then I also get to promote something that I really believe in. Yeah. Um, but then in that, people tend to ask the same questions and I tend yeah. to get the same answers. And you feel mm. I, because I, I get believe it. in those answers, but they yeah. just, you know. Okay, it's um, oh, question. Let's dive into it. <laughs> all I'm right. Here. So my biggest qualm right now with the word love is that I feel like the the way I've been defining it, I guess, or using it my entire life has essentially been replacing I love you. It would be replaced with actually, I love the way you validate my ego. And right. then the other piece of that for me is that we fall in love or I fall in love with the potential of whether it be the relationship or even like the job or all it's all false fantasy it's potential it's not the actuality of what's happening whether it be in my partner or in any relationship um that's not romantic but i mean specifically obviously romantic is what we deal with most close to the heart so mm -hmm. yeah i don't know do you have any thoughts around how we might be sometimes tricking ourselves to consider something love that's actually just validation yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, we do that. <laughs> yeah, um, I think most people, I can't speak for anyone other than myself. So I'll just say for my experience rather than most people. Um, you know, my, my experience before when I was dating was that if I was looking for something serious, I would meet somebody, right? And I would take like a few information points, like a few things that I saw, like maybe this person is beautiful and attractive to me. I really like their style. I like the things that they're into. You know, we have this one thing in common. Oh, that's so meaningful to me too. And I would take these connection points. They're funny, whatever it is. And then I would just basically like, fill in the rest of the things that I wanted, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. into this projection that I then unconsciously put on to this other person. Yeah. And they usually would be doing the same thing. Yeah. So we basically were falling in love with the projection of each other. Exactly. And then down the road, they don't live up to my unexpressed and imaginary expectations and I resent them for it. Mm -hmm. That's basically, you know, how a lot of people I would say, but I'll speak for myself, got into relationships. Mm -hmm. And um, that was a really bad cycle for me. You know, I remember I had this one time where I went through a breakup and I was like, I'm going to go home. I, I talk about this in the book too. It's like, I'm going to go home and I'm going to write a breakup poem. So this is my thing. I was going to write my next breakup poem. So I get home and like, I'm about to start writing. And I think, you know, maybe I should like look over all of my old breakup poems first. Mm. So I read over them 
And I'm embarrassed to admit that there were nine of them. Not nine women. I had some doubles in there, but there was nine (laughs) breakup poems, which is basically 30 minutes of material. Mm -hmm. So I sit there and I'm like reading 30 minutes of material about relationships that hadn't worked out. And when I finished, I realized, oh, I don't need to write a new breakup poem because all of my old breakup poems are unfortunately applicable to my current breakup. So I was like, I need to instead figure out why I continue to create the same lesson in a different disguise over and over and over again. And and that was a a big turning point for me, not only in my dating life, but also in my writing, because I almost realized that the fuel source I was using for my writing was unsustainable because it was actually perpetuating some of these old stories that I had in my mind. And from then on, I decided, Jay, to your earlier question, that I was always going to come back to uh, positivity and hope, you know, and make sure that no matter what it was that I was exploring through my work, even if it was a oriented poem rather than solution-minded, I always wanted to wind up in a place where I either shocked people into being awake so that the next poem could be positive or that I ended the poem in a place where they felt empowered. Um, Mm. And I think the more that I did that and the more that I took positive actions in my life, as I said, you know, we're all just vibrating energy. So when your frequency changes, what you are attracted to and what you're attracting changes. Yeah. yeah. Mm. There's so much anger tied to that idea that you spoke to of projecting just projecting onto other people, projecting a potential onto another person, and then realizing later down the line that it was your, I mean, there's anger that's only for you to be responsible for. I mean, it's anger that cannot be blamed on, put on anybody else because you did that. (laughs) You know, I did that. Um, And so getting, I think, figuring out how to, what are the tools to get past, first of all, the anger of it, and then to change that story so that you don't continue the pattern and you don't continue doing that. Did you have uh, success? Yeah, I think the anger is you're, you're grieving the loss of something that you, you imagine, right? Yeah. Not you specifically, but anyone. I mean, when you're angry that a relationship didn't live up to your expectations or you're angry that you projected and didn't realize it, you have to still grieve whatever it is that you thought you had. Yeah. I mean, everyone wants to be in a loving relationship. You want to, you have so much love to give. You find someone that you feel like you want to give all of your love to. Um, and the love is real, you know, but um, it's actually seeing the person in front of you as separate. And the other thing I would say is, Based on what you said about validation, I mean, I I totally relate to that. Every single person on the planet does. I mean, or I can't say on the planet, but I mean, in American culture, you know, we're literally trained. Consumerism trains us to seek our validation and our answers outside of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's the thing is when you start going on a date with somebody, mostly people are just mirroring each other. (laughs) Just you, you do this, 
And then I do this. And then we, you know, it's like actually seeing the person that's in front of you and getting to know them. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, I think finding a way to seek that validation from the inside out is, is really, um, the move and it's, it's the journey that we're all on and there's no destination. Yeah. Um, you mentioned something earlier that stuck out to me about you finding your version of what masculinity really means mm-hmm. and something on the show we talk about a lot is just the the sexual Polarity. polarities the differences the energetic dynamic of um both the masculine and the feminine the yin and yang the the alpha omega so what has been your journey to becoming the man you are today or becoming a man when it comes to like a healthy masculine energy. Thank you. There's a, um, there is a lag between us. So I know we're all like, I know uh, (laughs) know know exactly where it's coming from, but I'm, I'm still very much enjoying talking to you guys. Um, anyway, so yeah, I think it's been a long process. I mean, I'm, I've made a lot of mistakes along the way, you know, um, there are things that, uh, I've learned. And when you learn, you, you do better, you know? And I think I, you know, look, you're never going to lose your ego because <laughs> your ego is a part of your humanity. Everybody like talks about losing your ego. That's mm-hmm. just not possible. You know, um, not when you're in this physical world, I have desires. I want to live a life of abundance. I want to be successful. I of course want people to like me. Who the fuck doesn't want to be light? I mean, but I think it's learning not to operate from that place in a way where you lose your integrity or your authenticity. Um, And I think, uh, I think for many years I was doing things unconsciously to find my validation outside of myself. And, you know, there's, there's never an end to that game, you know, Um, and nobody wins because you're always going to compare yourself. You know, it's like, think about it. There's never an end to more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So if more is your goal, (laughs) more, whatever, you know, I mean, it's just, it's not a realistic goal. And so I think the more that I uncovered some of the things that I was doing that I was unaware of, the more I stepped more into uh, my masculinity in, in the way that I am right now, but I'm still learning a lot of things. You know, my, my partner, my girlfriend has taught me so much, you know, uh, learning to continue to be vulnerable um, even after you get hurt and not to shut down. You know, um, that was something that, that she has really actively taught me. And I think the more open that I am with her, the more open I can be with the world, mm-hmm. you know, and that's really what I want. I want to, uh, be in the world with people. We only have so much time here on the planet. And, you know, if you look around you right now, 
wherever you are in your rooms or anyone who's listening to this, I mean, we are, this world is fucking amazing, man. I mean, yeah, it's scary and, you know, it's sad and there's trauma and, but just the colors, you know, or the sounds or the taste, the way the gravity holds you down, you know, um, mm. all the things you can do, you, you, no one can control your mind. You can go anywhere you want. You can do anything that you want, really. You have full freedom, you know, to explore life how you see fit. And you don't need to live in anyone else's idea of you or any societal prison or anything like that. And so I just look at life and I go through the normal human experience of up and down, but I also marvel at it. I really, truly do. And we have this limited time that we get to experience this amazing thing. And I want to be here. I don't want to be living in my projection of you know, the past onto this moment, you know, you get triggered and then all of a sudden you're like taking out your unresolved and unexpressed emotions on this moment where it literally has nothing to do with whatever it is you're feeling. And I don't want to be thinking so much about the future that I'm not actually with you right now. So there's a lot more levels that I want to uncover in my own life, but I just want to be here now. Which is the Ram Das book. Yeah. Do you have a practice that helps you to be here now, like a grounding um, grounding tools that you use? Yeah, uh, I meditate twice every day, um, and I've been doing that for over four years, and uh, I never miss one. I made it a non-negotiable wow. practice. Um, and I, I use that word very purposely, like non-negotiable, because if something is negotiable, you'll negotiate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hmm. I also so heard I made you, it non-negotiable. I've heard you speak on um, running downhill, like running down mountains mm. when you hike on the way down to run because you have to be so present. Yeah. You misstep, you'll twist an ankle or something. And I, I do that myself. So yeah. it's uh, definitely something you have to be mm. present with. And so, I mean, your work too, like speaking in front of a bunch of people and yeah. being, you know, having to memorize and having to have these words come through you in a way that's going to affect who you're speaking them into has to be a really presence forming uh, mechanism for you or modality. Mm-hmm. Is that, I mean, is that teachable? Um, which part? Getting into your body and grounding yourself enough so that when you're, let's say it's poetry, so that when you are speaking the poetry, you're able to give all of yourself through those words. Yeah, because your your words are like really, they're so felt like even here now, I'm sure you've recited that poem so many times. But when you were speaking it, it was like you were speaking it for the first time and we were feeling it with you. Thank you. Yeah, because we're in a new moment. Hmm. We're in a new moment together, you know? So it it is, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's the Miles Davis quote where he's like, oh, it took me a really, really long time to learn how to play like myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, well, you know. You know, something similar to that. Um, I definitely think everyone's a poet. We're all storytellers. Mm. It's a very, very old 
art form, mm. you know, and we're all walking through the world using language to express how we think and what we feel, and, um, what is around us and what we want in the future. Um, and so, yeah, it's like, I really, really always encourage people to find ways to express themselves through art um, and specifically through poetry because that's what I love. So that's why I do the workshops all around the country and the world is because I love giving people a platform um, to be able to explore their stories in a new way and to have an experience of alchemy through art because they're celebrated no matter what it is that they're talking about when they're on stage. Mm. It's an environment that is supportive. And so they almost have a rock star experience telling a story that they might've never told anyone. And that allows for a real release. Um, but there's other levels for me to uncover as a performer as well. It's, it's not like I feel like I've reached the pinnacle. I feel like still I'm just starting. There's, um, there's many ways that I feel that I am the vehicle and the obstacle for my poems, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and it goes back to what we were discussing with validation. Right. You know, I'm the vehicle because all of my poetry comes through my experiences. It comes through my thoughts. It comes from my emotions. It comes from my voice. And I mean my voice, but also just my voice. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, I'm also the obstacle because I want people to like it. And my desire for them to like it gets in the way of the communication. It doesn't help. It actually blocks people from being able to fully hear what the poem wants to say. And that's in the sharing of it and in the creating of it. Because sometimes I'll be creating something and I'll write something that I think is really great but it's not right. Mm. It's like great, but it has more to do with my ego Mm -hmm. and Mm. this shit that I think I wrote. And it has to do with what the poem wants to say. The poem doesn't want to say that it Mm. wants to say something different. And so I have to be the vehicle for that poem, you know, and cross out the shit that I thought was good to go back to what's actually right for the poem. I notice when I'm the obstacle and I try to remove myself out of the way. Mm -hmm. And then in the sharing of it, it's similar because I can get on stage or be talking to you guys right now. And of course I want to be as in my body and in the moment and in my heart as I can, as I'm sharing it. But I also, of course, you know, I want to sell my book. I think it's a mm-hmm. fucking dope book. You know, I believe in it. I want to get it out to the world. You know, we're buying a house right now. Mm-hmm. You know, of course I have things that I want, but those things get in the way mm-hmm. of me fully giving away the poem to you guys. And I feel that if I could get to a place where I was fully just the vehicle mm-hmm. in a moment at least, then it would be, you know, pure, which is what I'm always seeking. Hmm. We have had a channel, um, a man who channels spirit guides. I don't know. You've hung around maybe Aubrey Marcus. Some, so you may have heard of Paul Selig. Um, 
Yeah. yeah, we've had him on twice. He was amazing. Paul Selig, we've had on twice. He's the the channel. And what you're cool. speaking of here kind of sounds essentially like the same way he talks about yeah. the spirit guides coming through him. And he has to figure out how to get out of the way because his ego wants to, you know, gain fame from this uh, ability to have psychic clairvoyance and wants to have its own say in what the subject mm-hmm. and the topic is that the, the spirit guides, you know, whether you believe in that or not, are, are speaking through him. Um but I wanted to know in doing that practice of figuring out how to get the ego out of the way when you're writing a poem, what do you have a qualifying system for what line stays in or stays out? Or how do you read through what is your ego and what isn't? You feel it somehow? Yeah, I think it's intuition, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, you know, you can hear it when you're, writing you can hear it when you're painting you can hear it when you're singing you can hear it when you're dancing and you can also hear it in line at the grocery store (laughs) Um, the problem is is that in this society you know when we're talking about consumerism training us to look outside of ourselves for the answer right you know everything is constantly trying to take from you it's trying to take your likes it's trying to take your attention. It's trying to take your money. It's trying to take your love. It's trying to take your time, which you can't make more of and you can't buy more of. And even it's trying to take your information these days, you know, and if, if I don't know something, you know, what do I do? I, I look outside of myself. I, I like look on Google to figure it out mm-hmm. or I consult a coach you know, or I go on YouTube and technology is an amazing thing. I mean, it, it really has connected the world in ways that were unimaginable a hundred years ago. Um, and I think it's beautiful and it has so much potential. And there's been so many amazing things that have been brought to the reality of the internet. Mm-hmm. But I also think there's a difference between using your tools and having your tools use you. Yeah. you have a, mm, I love your poem. I, ever since I heard that poem, I let my kids jump on the couch. (laughs) That's a great compliment. My favorite compliment is it's great when someone comes up to me after shows and they say, oh, I thought this or I felt this. I'm always super grateful that Mm. anyone resonates with my work. Always. But when someone says I did something Mm. that was positive for me in my life, Mm-hmm. off of one of your poems it's like I feel like that is the best feeling ever mm-hmm. so someone that I showed your poem to last night about voting he voted today because of your poem so wow that's amazing please and that's just two that. stories that you've heard of right now I mean <laughs> yeah it's countless well, no please tell him I said that that means so much to me you know and look that's the whole point is we can't quantify what technology does, what the ripple effect is. You know, you guys have this podcast. There's no way for you to quantify the impact or influence that you have on people every time you put something out. I mean, it's really unfathomable that we're all sitting in different places right now communicating, <laughs> and then it's going to go out to X amount of people that are out there that we've never met and possibly will never meet. But number one, I'll tell each and every one of you, I fucking love you. And I want amazing things for you. And I would say, you know, if you have something that's going on right now, 
that you can't figure out, you know, certainly you can ask a friend, you know, or you can consult a coach, but also I would suggest that you find some time to just be by yourself and just sit in the silence because there's so much noise in our society and in our culture and in consumerism right now that we can't hear our own voices, Yeah, you know? So it's like sit in nature, just be by yourself. And that's why I wrote this book. It's called inquire within because I had to inquire within myself to create the poems. Yeah, People have to inquire within the book and the pages and they have to inquire within themselves. And my highest hope is that this book winds up being a window into people hearing their own voice because that is the voice that is going to set them straight and lead them towards whatever it is that they're enthusiastic and passionate about. Hmm. Yeah. I feel like you answered all of our questions without us asking you them. Yeah. You just talk. We'll just sit here and listen. (laughs) I talk way too much. Well, we're all benefiting. Yeah. <laughs> when my girlfriend and I argue, she will fucking attest to this. Like, You'll diatribe for like 15 minutes straight, <laughs> a minute, and then you jump back in. Because oh. I don't mean to do that. And she knows that. I just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, listening is like when you are the voice, you know, in your work on a daily basis, that is what your kind of practice is, is listening one of your hardest obstacles. What'd you say? Is listening one of your hardest obstacles. What'd you say? I'm sorry. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> you can't mess with us with a delay. That was Tom Shadyac. <laughs> <laughs> um, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. I think it depends upon who it is. And my mood and, you know, I mean, I can definitely sit with someone and just ask them questions. Like, I'm very curious, like, what's going on with both of you? I could very easily just listen or, you Mm. know, I'm interested in people. Mm. That's where inquiry, NQ was short for inquiry. Mm -hmm. And that was a name that was given to me when I was like 15 years old. And uh, my friends just started calling me NQ and then it became in question. And uh, it's a life philosophy. I mean, I really question everything. So I love people. I love, you know, I'm so curious about who people are and how they are. Um, But listening is something that I I still need to work on, you know. Have you spent a lot of time studying, you know, philosophy or psychology or anything that, you know, piqued your interest and then also helped your work along? And maybe your life? I've done a lot of... Uh, you know, I've certainly read a lot of books, but I'm not by any means an academic and, you know, dropped out of, uh, I mean, I went to San Fran state for one year and then came back. I was at SMC for like six months. I got in a fist fight on campus. I was like a mad, you know, younger, younger man. And, and, uh, and then I was like, I'm out of here, you know, and I just went and pursued art and, uh, you know, so I, I'm definitely not like researched on philosophy or psychology, but I've had a therapist for a really long time and mm. I've had many, many coaches and I've read many, many books. So I think I've kind of been my own guinea pig mm-hmm. and that I've learned from my own life. I try to put into my work so that 
you know, I can mirror that back onto whoever is listening. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, um, we always have a magic mob question and this week it's, do, do you know milk? She sung the, she does the word, the song quiet. She just came out with a song called if I run, if I ran the world. Okay. I don't know her and I'm embarrassed to say that. Milk. But. It's no. M I L C K. So, uh, look her up. Cause I think you'd love her work. Um, she's, uh, her question is really similar to what Mercedes just asked you, but she just wanted to know because you do talk about such complex issues in your art. She was curious what your workflow, what your creative workflow is. You know, everything has been uh, at least in the last year focused on the book um, mm -hmm. because this is literally the first home that I've ever had for my art. I've never had a product. Hmm. I you know, these have always been living, breathing documents and I would show up and perform them and then I would disappear. And as I would change and evolve, I would edit the pieces, you know, so they would change and evolve. And this is the first time that I've collected all of my material into one place hmm. and had to make sure that every word was something to the best of my ability. I would want to stand behind in 20 years or 30 years. Um, so everything for me has been, I think, channeled artistically creatively towards creating the best home for my art that I possibly could create. Um, and I'm excited now that I can get this out to the world because I'm curious what it is that I'll be passionate about writing next. Um, you know, when people say, Oh, what's your favorite poem? I'm always like the next one. Yeah. You know, and then that doesn't mean it's the best poem. Mm -hmm doesn't have anything to do with best it has to do with you know what's your favorite poem well yeah. it's the one that's closest to creation right mm. so i to answer the question that was a long answer but uh to actually answer the question uh when i'm writing i write um when i'm inspired now i i don't i've put in so many hours which is very very important in learning your craft yeah. but at a certain point it's almost detrimental mm -hmm. to force yourself mm -hmm. to create. You know, if I can't figure out how to finish a poem, sometimes I just think, well, I probably need to go live more. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll go on a trip or I'll do something that takes me out of my comfort zone and challenges me. And then all of a sudden I'll know where the poem needs to go. Um, so... Yeah. I mean, if you're putting in your hours, write as much as you possibly can, you know, paint as much as you possibly can. And then when you've reached a point where you really do feel like you know how to play like yourself, then play when you want to play, because mm -hmm. then you'll still be playing. It won't be work. You know, you don't want your play to become your work to the point where you don't even remember that it was play. Right. Um, so my workflow is, uh, whenever it comes, I just like, I'm grateful <laughs> and then I'll just yeah. go into a little hole and get out as much as I can, you know? Mm -hmm. I feel like I do that to everything that I, that I have passion for. I turn it into such hard work mm. that it becomes not fun anymore, but that goes back to what we were talking about with how, you know, residing more in your masculine or feminine and not mm -hmm. being balanced maybe there. And that's some definitely something I struggle with. 
This what, podcast, what? we turn into really hard work, but then we get to have conversations <laughs> like this, with, like this, and um, you know, sessions with Paul Selig and things like that. To where it's always it's so life giving at the same time. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think makes it such hard work for each of you, and how do you think you could approach it in a in a different way? Uh, for me, I'm a single mom of two toddlers, and I um, need to be better at time management. Right. Um, I stay home with them so that I can be around them, but then I'm around them, and I'm on my phone editing an episode and choosing the promo material, and um, I just need to be better at time management, and I haven't mastered that. Hmm. Yeah, and for me, it's similar with time management, but it's also um, putting you know, we're putting so much into this and it's not financially something that gives us much back yet. Mm. Hopefully that changes, but it fills us up so much, you know, as far as passion goes. Um, so that's what we've been literally living off of when it comes to this, but I, you know, work several other jobs. So to support this as my hobby, essentially, um, and it does come down to time management, but it also comes down to people taking us seriously that we employ because we have employed, um, lots of people at this point to assist, but I think our personas maybe out in the world as sexy models and that type of thing is a real hindrance to us when it comes to try to get people to take us seriously. And maybe just because it's a podcast and people feel like, Oh, lots of people have podcasts. I don't know. Yeah. There's struggles. We're still navigating. Yeah, no, I I definitely hear what both of you said. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm. We'll get there. We love it. So well, yeah. and you're doing it. I mean, yeah. you're you're absolutely doing it. I mean, we're we're what a what an interesting thing to have a conversation, and now all of a sudden it's content. Yeah, <laughs> this is a piece of art that we're yeah. together. You know, messy, clean doesn't really matter. It's you know, it's it's something that that you guys have created the space for, and yeah. it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. Thank you. Thank you for that. So we don't want to let you go ever. So um, we won't. So we'll just keep talking. Uh, But we have a few short questions we like to ask everyone who comes on the show. So we're going to get into those. um, The first one is, if you could hug your younger self right now, what would you say? It's going to be all right. And how old are you? 35. No, <laughs> that's uh, my age. <laughs> um, I don't know. Like, uh, I was thinking probably around that eight, eight age. Eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had this uh, this experience when I was eight, where we knew where my dad was, and uh, I have a poem about my dad in the book actually. But mm. uh, we knew where he was, right? And so I had this deal with my mom where I could send him like a Father's Day card when mm. I was like eight, I guess. So I was like super excited about this for like a year. Like I would talk about it. and I have very vague and ambiguous memories of my childhood. Like I really don't remember very much, but I remember this like feeling of excitement about it. And so I finally wrote the card, I sent it to him and I would go out to the mailbox every single day and just like wait for some sort of response. Mm. So I have to ask my mom, I don't remember whether it was a return to sender or it just never came, but at a certain point, it was like very clear that he was not interested in responding. Mm. Um, And 
So at the time I was a big, big basketball fan. And Michael Jordan was like my father in my mind. Like mm. he was like my hero, you know? And my mom loved the movie Beaches. Mm-hmm. You remember this movie? I mm-hmm. love that. I used to watch it all the time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you are the wind beneath my wings. Yeah. Ben Miller, this thing. So she got the soundtrack to this. And so she's gone one day and I take this, you know, I take the tape and I put it in and I get it to you are the wind beneath my wings. And I unroll my Michael Jordan poster. And I literally sang you are the wind beneath Aww. my wings to the Michael Jordan poster. And in the end, I'm like, fly so high in the sky. You know, I'm like, thank you. Thank you, thank God for you, the mm-hmm. wind beneath my wings. And then I literally, I had a tear, you know, fall down. and One single tear. I mean, that's the cinematic. Yeah. I don't really remember, but I remember that I was emotional. And, yeah. and so if I was going to hug uh, an age, I would probably hug that age, you mm. know. Yeah, that sounds like, uh, I feel like 8, 11, 12, those are common years we have people envision where they're going through like one of their really first tough times that yeah. is so transformative, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think we could all use hearing that right now too. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story. Why did you get emotional? Um. I don't know. I, it just really resonated for me. My birth dad was in jail my um, childhood. And so I would write to him and not hear back. Um, mm. And that song um, ended up the man who I, I, I got married young and divorced young, but the man who walked me down the aisle, we danced to that song. So wow. it was like a double whammy. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. That's crazy. That's yeah. beautiful though. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. yeah thank see, you. I feel closer to you that you shared that. Yeah, I think yeah. that's another thing, by the way, just, and this is a bit of a tangent, but like, in general, you know, people look at vulnerability as weakness. And now there's this whole new movement of vulnerability is your strength. And I, I really like, believe that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, not vulnerable in an environment that right. you, know, you, you need to, you know, step into it, you know, and with a different energy. But in general, like a lot of times we're scared of being vulnerable because of old environments that we were in that are not like a part of our life anymore. Yeah. You know? And so that's the thing that I always say to the people that I'm teaching workshops with, like you saying that just made me feel closer to you. Like I was like, oh, cool. You know, and and if I want other people to be vulnerable in a workshop, I find that I have to be vulnerable first. It's, it's almost irresponsible for me to ask a group of people to be vulnerable unless I'm willing to be vulnerable. And, you know, to anyone who's listening to this, if you're vulnerable to someone in your life or like somebody that you've just met and they don't respond well or they're not vulnerable back, they're probably a fucking asshole. Yeah. And then yeah. you don't have to hang out with them anymore. It's almost a shortcut to deciding whether or not you want to have more intimacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, just something to keep in mind, but I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Mercedes um, and our, our close friends um, 
always say that I'm the most vulnerable, like that vulnerable would be the word that they use to describe me, um, that it like almost worries them because <laughs> I get so vulnerable. Um, and I, I do feel really, really open. Um, but because I open up so quick um, and I'm so um, just, I guess the word vulnerable would be the only word to use. Um, I have opened up myself to a lot of pain um, that I wouldn't have had, had I been um, a little bit more weary Um, and I don't feel currently, I don't feel very vulnerable because I just uh, went through some betrayal. So I'm learning to be vulnerable, even to those who have hurt us. Um, Mm. but let me say one more thing off of that though, because like, definitely like you should always give somebody else the opportunity and the space to grow and change Mm -hmm. should find a way ultimately to have compassion, but that doesn't mean that they have to grow and change with you. You know, mm-hmm. if if, they, if people show up to you in a way that shows you who they are in that moment, sometimes too much happens. You need to cut them off and move on with your life, you know, and, mm-hmm. and figure out the reasons that you brought that in so that you can find a way to be empowered, whether or not you understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but you don't deserve that, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know. I think like the, the grieving process is a whole process mm-hmm. for a reason. And you have to go through those stages yeah. um, to arrive in empowerment. And if you try mm-hmm. to skip any stages, you know, it actually winds up just suppressing that inside of you. That's true. Um, you know, so, yeah. We have to do that shadow work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the next uh, staple question that we have is if you could have the whole world read one book, which would it be? inquire within <laughs> no, no. no. I, I love inquire within and it's it's uh yeah i mean i'm so so excited about this book i really could not be more excited but that i haven't been more excited about a book since toms came out <laughs> oh you're so nice thank uh, you life's operating manual since that, yeah, book. I love that book i haven't been more excited about a book since in years. Wolf, right not the bad wolf mm-hmm. yeah yeah, yeah, that that was the main thing in that. Mm-hmm. Um, Love you. and fear dialogues. Exactly. The fear, fear and truth dialogues. Fear yeah. and truth, yeah, same thing. <laughs> um, I would say, you know, it's very cliche, but I, I think that um, The Prophet is... is mm, yeah, it's by my bed. Yeah. Yeah. A couple books of poetry are by my bed too. Um, Daniel Doby, I Am Her Tribe. Yeah, that one. Know. Oh, you'd love it. And then soon, tomorrow, yours. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, I just love that book. The Prophet. Just, I, yeah. I, I, that. I don't know how a human mm-hmm. being I know. Uh, created that. It was, it was really, uh, it was divine. It's so good. And each time you read it, it's so different. Hmm. Yeah. You know, Aubrey Marcus actually posted something today that said, you'll never watch the same movie twice. I saw that. And, it's and every person sees a different movie. Mm. Exactly. You yeah. know, so anytime I sit down to the prophet, I bring something new, you know, to this thing that is already there. Yeah. That's why, you know, I have a line that says the art is more important than the artist is. Mm. And I really believe that, like, and that's why I'm so excited about my book is because I finally have something that I can give to other people. And now I can have a whole new life for them. My poetry has already saved my life in many ways. 
And now it can be whatever it needs to be or not be for anyone who decides to read it or not read it. You know, it's all good. It's not business, but it has a life of its own now. And Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just excited for, for people to experience it in their way. I'm so excited for it. I think it too, having like a physical legacy, you know, that Mm -hmm. you can leave there also just feels like part of what we need to do while we're here, you know, like Mm -hmm. something. Do you have children yet? No, we're, uh, so that's your baby right now. (laughs) But we, uh, you know, I'm I'm very very happy. Yeah, yeah. I just meant that I, that's your baby. This book is your oh, newborn yeah. for sure. Yeah. I um started writing poetry when I was around ten because that's when I started struggling with su- um depression so strongly and with suicidal thoughts, and I would pour it into poetry. Um, and it was really the only thing that I felt like people told me I was good at, and so I felt really validated through it too. Um. But there were other poems that I read that weren't mine that kept me alive. And so the way that your poetry has kept you alive, I feel like it's also keeping a lot of other people alive and you have no idea. So that's that's really nice. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So if you could whisper one phrase or maybe one poem to everyone mm-hmm. on the planet, what would it be? Um, if I could do one poem to everyone on the planet. Well, right now it would be uh, the poem about climate change, probably, mm. because it is the biggest existential threat to humanity. Um, but then uh, there's another poem called Learned Fear that's more about people finding their own voice. Mm. And uh, so on an individual level, I would probably choose Learned Fear. Okay. And on a collective level, I would, I would choose um, One Little Dot. Yeah. Before we let you go, will you share one of those with us? Either. Uh, one. Yeah, sure. Do you guys have a preference? Mm, you you choose That's one, and then maybe yeah, <laughs> you choose one, and then maybe we'll um, find a recording of the other one and play it when you get off. Okay, cool. Learned fear can be overcome when you realize the voice inside your head is not yours. It's an imitation of the voices from before, repeating on a loop inside your quiet core, receiving since your youth when your choices weren't even yours, perceiving was the proof, but reality has many doors, so why are we still fighting other people's wars? Learned fear can be overcome when you realize the voice inside your head is not yours. It's an imitation of the voices from before, repeating, repeating, repeating on a loop inside your quiet core. And you can't tell the difference because it sounds the same. But trust me when I tell you, most of what you think is from somebody else's brain. They have us trained, shackled by imaginary chains. Imaginary rules for imaginary games, but they don't know the reasons either. So where should we place the blame? And who is they anyway when we're all the same? Our parents had parents and their parents had parents. Apparently it hurts to see, so I'll be transparent. The world is so much bigger than your insecurities. And they don't speak on your behalf without your soul's authority. The world is so much bigger than your culture or 
community, and they don't speak on your behalf without your soul's authority. Because if it's all a story, then nobody else can tell it for me. Since I'm always transforming, I defy a category. When you do the same thing, the same way, it's habit forming. But nothing in this land of woman and man is mandatory. It's all just transitory. Our world's a laboratory. Experimenting on today can change tomorrow morning. And since matter is mostly empty space, we're in a sea of consciousness where the boundaries are erased. So I stared at my reflection until I couldn't see my face. Then I picked myself and put the flowers in an empty vase. If you came for validation, then you're in the wrong place. The only certain satisfaction is becoming what you've chased. And there's no running from the inner voice. So it's important that you choose, but it's more important that you know you have a choice. You have a choice. Are you living someone else's life? You have a voice. Does it haunt you in the dead of night? Would you fly if you weren't convinced to be afraid of heights? And who convinced you anyway? They had no fucking right. No one can dim your light. You shine within so bright that you could blind the sun from sight and scare him back into the night. No one can dim your light. I said it twice because you're greater than the circumstances that surround your perfect life. You're not your nature or your nurture. You're a prototype. And if you hone it right, eventually you'll hack your satellite. A little to the left, a little to the right, just right. At first it's nothing, then nothing turns into a whisper. Turn the dial and it gets crisper in your transistor. Wait a while and the whisper turns into a scream. It overwhelms your system and you won't know what it means. But pump the volume up and it can tell you all your dreams till pretty soon it's the only voice you'll ever need. Now all you have to do is listen when you want to lead. Your fear disintegrates when you decide to stop and breathe. It's your authentic voice. And no matter where you go, it never leaves. And that's God, no matter what religion you believe. I'm starting my own religion. And everyone is welcome. But nobody can join. If you did, you'd miss the point. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. <clears throat> yeah, you guys. <laughs> Where can people hear more, find you online, and get your book? Um, so, yeah, you can get the book on my website, which is in-q.com, inq.com. And uh, we partnered up with HarperCollins uh, for this book. And so it should be at all local, you know, Barnes and & Nobles and, you know, independent stores. We tried to get it in as many independent stores as we could. And then, of course, you can get it on Amazon. And then also we have the audiobook, 
And they're two very different experiences because um, in Choir Within, we have all of these uh, amazing illustrations. We had a guy named Musta Sharik um, create 60 illustrations for the books. Uh, the book helps like draw people in. So it's almost like a Shel Silverstein type of an experience in that way. Um, and, uh, and I'm really, really proud of the way it's all laid out. And then the audio book, you know, it's two and a half hours of me reading the poems. Wow. And really took it seriously. Like I really wanted to, you know, do as much justice to the pieces as I could. So we took an extra long amount of time to get them right. And I'm really, really proud of the, the audio book and excited for it. Um, and so you can get one of those, you can get both of those. This is a really great gift for people. Yeah. Um, and we're trying to get on the New York times bestsellers list and we're on our way. So, um, hopefully people are moved by it and, and support it. And, um, and then obviously on social media, you could just reach out to me at NQ life. And if you buy the book, let me know, tag me in it. Let me know what you think of it. And, um, um, I'm gonna. I'm happy to stay in contact with both of you guys. I'm gonna find you and make sure I follow you immediately. Yeah. Do uh, you? It was really, so lovely to talk to you both. Yeah, it was a great conversation. I feel like we missed out so on bad. so much too because I know we could go into like psychedelics with you and all kinds of other yeah. stuff that we would love to <laughs> touch on. So we might have to have a part two sometime down the line. For sure, we'll do it. Um, have you heard of Mountain Film? Yeah, I tell you right. Yeah, yeah, we'll be there with Tom. Um, at the end of May. And, but this year's um, theme last year was equity this year. It's young visionaries. So I think you would really enjoy it if you'd like to join. I know um, Tom buys a hundred passes every year and he just hands them out to everybody. So if you and your girlfriend would like to come, he would love for you guys to be there. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll look at the schedule. Everything is crazy with the book stuff. Yeah. I bet. We're just on this unbelievable (laughs) uh, store thing, but um but I would love to, and I've been uh, to Mountain Film before, and I oh, have. absolutely loved it. Yeah. yeah, with a friend of mine, Char- Charlie Ebersol. And mm-hmm. actually, I saw Tom there. I know he's yeah. kind of like the mayor. He's Yeah, he's, he's the mayor of the town. During Telluride's parade on New Year's Day, they have someone dress up as Tom <laughs> and throw out fake yeah. money. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm sure that they could also, because um, Jedediah Jenkins is a long time... Yeah, so he did a book signing last year at Mountain Film. So I'm sure they would love to have you. Um, I can connect you if you want um, do a book signing there. Um, yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be really cool. Amazing. Well, you are just a gem, and we are so lucky to have got you on. I'm really looking forward to figuring out a way that we can do this again, or see you at Mountain Film, or I don't know. We got we're going to become buddies somehow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And thank you guys very much for having me on your platform because I know that your audience trusts you and it's a relationship you've developed over time. So I honor that. I acknowledge that. And I appreciate you creating space for me and for Empire Women. Mm, thank you. Thank you for being a light. Thank you so All right, much. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Whew. We did that. I That's know. Done. It's almost sad to check him off the list. I know. Well, We'll do a part two, right? <laughs> Can our listeners tell Don't me we're tell dragging me everything on? I know. I still have tears on my face. I really, um, I really feel like in the clouds from that. Um, oh, it was really I've, special. I think it'll uh, affect a lot of people in a really, well, really good way. Mm, yeah. 
his words really make you to it I know isn't that the best part that's what I love about Tom Shadyac's episode is I get like I love when I miss him I get to hear us talk to each other (laughs) that's so cute Um, you never think about like one day if one day you know when you're gone long you know long time from now hopefully very very long time from now your kids can listen back to like you and your best friend tom and 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 me all talking together and be like yeah that was mom and (laughs) i hope so (laughs) she had a show and this is what they did her and my aunt mercedes yeah (laughs) and uncle tom yeah i wish that we could do our whole podcast every month yeah Mm. every month this is the layout okay tom shadiak paul selig Eric Gotzi and Q. And that goes with the order of our hormonal cycle phases, four phases. Yeah, we might have okay. to switch it around. Yeah. But every month, <laughs> those four. Yep. Yeah. Who's getting that's- menstrual week? I want to know. <laughs> no, but that seriously sounds like the perfect polyamorous marriage I think you just described. So write that down. Emily, are you writing that down? <laughs> we four marry us. <laughs> My husband might be listening to this. <laughs> Guys, which week do you want? Sign up. It's <laughs> a a meal drive. Yeah, who pulled okay. the the shortest straw or whatever? Period. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, what we could go on and on, but what is your magic trick? So my magic trick today is very simple. If you haven't got it, the message already from the show today, it's to do what I do. I'm going to do, which is to order or buy. Inquire Within, NQ's book that we've, you know, discussed over and over because Mm -hmm. it is lit, y'all. We need to be on. I have the hard copy by my bed and I have the audio book just playing on repeat. In your ear. Yeah, exactly. I can't, I mean, that's like a really tough choice, even picking between the two because of course- Just do both. Poems. I know. Well, I I often um, put, just type NQ onto YouTube on my TV and I just let it play like- I just let yeah. it play while I'm cleaning or whatever. I, I do that with him and with East Forest mm. and with Ram Dass. So I just let that play. I love it. And I'll just be like, you know, I'm not actually watching the TV, but I'm like, I'm hearing their words and um, such positive, f- just frequency coming out of the words and the yeah, even just like their voice, you know, makes you feel like okay, what we're gonna hear something that's nourishing right now yeah. that I saw, like it turns you into tuning into that. Type and of I think also hearing him say it out loud, you're, you're like, you would tune to it, but you're also like, yeah, no, that's, that's right. I can do that. Yeah. Let's yeah. go do that now. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's actionable, right? Yeah. Like, so it doesn't it's feel attainable. heavy. Exactly. It doesn't feel like, well, shit. Now what am I going to do? It's like, let's do this. Like you're, yeah. you're amped up. It's motivating. I love and it. And he's so, um, he, he's so human. Mm-hmm that it's not like he's preaching it right. or he's um, he's judging when he's telling you to go do something, mm-hmm. you know, or, or how to live. Uh, and it just, he's, he's so human and vulnerable and raw with all of it that it, yeah, it just feels like, yeah, okay, me too. You know, yeah. like it, it completely attainable, like you said, which is my magic trick is to go watch some of his YouTube videos where he so beautifully articulates his poetry um, and in the meantime, we will close with one little dot, like we promised them. How can something this big be invisible? The ozone is everywhere, and yet it isn't visible. 
Maybe if we saw it, we would see it's not invincible and have to take responsibility as individuals. How can something this big be invisible? If it's all around us, it should show itself on pure principle. The scientists are claiming that the damage is residual and climate change data is reaching levels that are critical, yet somehow that's political. We argue over math. Our citizens are too cynical to believe in facts. We make excuses and hold on to the recent past. We don't want to sacrifice, so we refuse to ask. I grew up in a city. It's all I ever knew. So even now, I have nothing to compare it to. I have to hit the park to see more than a tree or two. I have to visit nature like it's in a freaking zoo. But California was wild before the parking lots, before the mass malls, before designer shops, before the strip clubs, before the sea change, when mountain lions roamed freely over freeways, before the fast food, before the freeze frames. We live around a bunch of dead things these days. It's not an argument for better or worse. It's an observation on how we've been treating Mother Earth. And we always seem to mistreat the ones we love first. But if aliens arrive, we'll be human beings first, and then we'll do anything to defend our home turf. We would fight to the death for the planet that we hurt. See, we protect what is ours. My land, my life, my house, my kids, my job, my wife, my dog, my car, my country, my culture. But when it comes to nature, our perspective is external. The planet, the forest, the ocean, the skies, the mountains, the valleys, always the. Never mind if it's not me. Never mind, I'm too busy all the time. And without the ownership, we ignore the warning signs. Just look at all the species on the planet that are dying. The coral reefs, the honeybees, mysteriously dying. One-fourth of all the mammals that exist are dying. A third of all amphibians are at the risk of dying. We're on a path to mass extinction. It's almost like we're trying because we're relying on an atmosphere that we've been frying. I could use more statistics, but you'd probably think I'm lying because over half the politicians we elect deny them. Well, since when did your opinions outweigh the science? I thought experiments were fundamentally unbiased. Capitalism uses nature as its example and excuse for competition. The only problem is we've removed it from the ecosystem. Profit and balance in the market are attainable, but growth without a conscience is completely unsustainable. A lion doesn't kill all the gazelles. Why do we have to have it all to ourselves? Pretty soon, there'll be nothing left but concrete and cars, and when you see an animal, it'll be like a movie star. 
the planet, the forest, the ocean, the skies, the mountains, the valleys, always the, never mind if it's not me, never mind, I'm too busy all the time, and without the ownership, we ignore the warning signs, our planet, our forest, our ocean, our skies, our mountains, our valleys, always we, always mine, my planet, my forest, my ocean, my skies, my mountains, my valleys, always we, always mine, always me, always yours. One little dot and trillions of stars. One little dot. It's all that we've got. We just forgot that none of it's ours. We just forgot that all of it's ours. One little dot and trillions of stars. Disclaimer, we are not medical professionals, so following any of our protocols or advice should be done at your own risk, people. And please remember to always, always do your own research. Tap into that extraordinary growth mindset we all have access to within ourselves and seek out your own answers. Come on, guys, you know, you know the deal. And by the way, if you are a medical professional or an expert in any topic we cover and you feel we are not giving accurate information about it, please find somewhere to contact us. Contact us via social or email us at our website and let us know. A major goal of ours in doing this podcast is to bring value to people's lives by sharing helpful insights and info. So we welcome being corrected at any time and we'll be happy to share any of our fuck ups with our listeners so as to get us all back on track to discovering our happiest, healthiest selves.